Hello and welcome to the Surface Tension Podcast. My name is Alex. My co-host over here is Craig. We are going to be exploring deep questions and looking for deep answers to spiritual questions and questions about life in general. We're happy to have you here. And here we go. Hi, welcome to our podcast. As many of you may or may not know, I have a dog and he's a white lab very fun, little quirky, right? Now, Tahoe. You've, you've, you've taken care of Tahoe before, right? Yes. And Tahoe, would you agree? It's fun, fun dog, but a little quirky. Yeah, she's got energy. <laughs> it was really funny. My wife reminded me recently uh, when Tahoe was, you know, in one of these quirky moments that the, the, the breeder, the person we got the dog from at some point said, this dog is going to take some extra work. You know, this dog's going to take some extra extra tinkering with. And, um, you know, as I was even... How sh- the heck did the breeder know? I, You know, I think there's... Well, first of all, there was a couple of dogs there when we were there. And the other dogs came running towards us and Tahoe ran away from us. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting that you would choose the one. I didn't want this one. I didn't want Tosh. Don't tell her. <laughs> Who made the decision to get her then? Well, that was the girls. Uh, the girls and my wife and my two daughters kind of had a heavy influence on the choice of this dog. Yeah, okay? sure, sure. And um, so this other dog was just a cuddler and a, and a just I'm like this is this this is what I want I want a dog that's going to cuddle and and just you know even though it's a lab you know it's still a lap dog to me you know it's like a big dog right here we go yeah and um and then and I set that one down and I went to go get now who is my dog Tahoe and she ran behind the couch you know was hiding from us and just didn't want to have anything to do with us and I'm like mm. so this is very interesting but um, as I was reflecting on that whole, this dog's going to take some extra work concept, it, it dawned on me that I was really glad that Tahoe didn't hear that when, when she was a puppy, right? Or speak English, right? That could have left a mark. Right? Yeah. We hear things when we're younger that have left a mark, right? There are certain phrases, things that people have said to us, spoken over us that we've overheard that have not been helpful for our self-image. Oh, yeah. My folks, uh, your brother and sister were really easy. They were straightforward. <laughs> you were so challenging. Oh. You were different. That was oh. said to me multiple times. So that wasn't even an over here. That was a... No, that's a, that's a we're going to address you directly yes. and let you know that you were, uh, you were outside of our realm of expertise. You're a handful. We didn't know what to do with you. Yes. We didn't know how to, yeah, we didn't know how to handle you. You were a whole lot to manage. Yes. <laughs> Which may uh, have been true. May have been true. There may have been some truth to that, but you probably shouldn't communicate that ever uh, no. to your children. I don't yeah. think that's. That's kind of one of those you sunk my battleship moments. Yeah, well, they like, could have said it a lot differently and communicated a very different message, right? right. They, or they could have said, we had so many adventures with you because you were articulate and you loved to negotiate and you right. saw things so differently and you had so much energy. 
And that was a whole new experience for us. Yeah. Such a different message still describing me, but with a completely different connotation. And so that kind of vaults us into what we wanted to talk about today. Totally. Which is stories. Right. Stories. Well, because we take these phrases, the events of our past, and, and we create a story. Right, and we create kind of a, a narrative. We don't even realize we're doing it most of the time, right? We're that'd be exhausting writing, if we did writing writing this story of our life, the conclusions that we make from the things that have happened to us are happening to us, right? Um, and you and I, after our last episode, we're tinkering around with this question. We're looking at society, and we're seeing a lot of nutty buddy out there, right? I guess that's one way of. Uh, calling it out? <laughs> the way people are driving, the way they seem to be hostile at the grocery store. Um, it just seems like there's so much chaos going in so many lives. A spiritual entropy is what I would call it, where a lot of the past you know, year, two years, two and a half years, has really drained people and left their tanks kind of running on empty, running on fumes. And now we're kind of seeing what that looks like. And maybe we perceived that as things were going on, but we were looking at, of course, the tip of the iceberg. And we know about icebergs that about a ninth of the iceberg will uh, peak out of the surface and the rest of it, the major mass is underneath. Yes. And that's the stuff that causes a whole lot of damage. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's what we don't quite see mm-hmm. that has the biggest impact and carries the most weight, right? Right. And that's kind of what led us to this question that we'd love to explore together. Because, you know, I love exploring things with you. It's a whole lot of fun. It is. Because you you bring such a different vantage point from life. And there's this authenticity and this vulnerability and this wow, and you're pulling from your experiences, and I think that is just so cool. And the the question that we had kicked around for our podcast today is, what if our biggest challenges in life are just story disorders? What if our biggest challenges in life are just story disorders? Now, what is a story disorder? Well, I, I immediately jumped to mental health, right? Because I think there are a few things that have been more disastrous uh, to individuals and society as a whole than psychological language entering the mainstream lexicon where people are diagnosing themselves. They're diagnosing others with labels and saying, Oh, I've got this disorder. I, I have anxiety. I have depression. You have narcissism. You have, you're a sociopath, you're X, Y, and Z and all these different labels. And, most of these labels don't really serve anyone well, right? Because there's plenty of literature on, let's say, anxiety. I know so many females who say, oh yeah, I have major anxiety. I have crazy anxiety. It's like, well, I, I get that. I mean, there are some emotionally unsettling things going on in the world. You're beaten down with that. We get way too much information about things going on that don't really affect us 
on a personal level because geographically they're so far away and there's no way we could affect those things. But telling yourself that, telling other people, I have anxiety in a major, in a clinically diagnosable way. Yes. I guess for some people that very well could be true. They have a hyperactive yeah. nervous system and they respond. I don't know whether it's the word I want to use is inappropriately, but they respond to situations in a way that is out of proportion for the circumstances. Yeah. But there is such negativity that goes with labeling something and that plays into their story. So all of a sudden, their story is actually being filtered through a lens of a label. Yeah. And that paints their experiences in a way that probably doesn't serve them well. It probably doesn't make them feel more connected, more emotionally or spiritually grounded, rooted. Yeah. And this is very tough because it's, it's, how do you put that toothpaste back in the tube? <laughs> right? Yeah. It's yeah. one of those Pandora's box things right. where the only thing left in the box is hope. And I think one of the best ways to get to hope is to introduce possibility, right? Yes. We, we need to have some possibility. We need to start challenging that story, the conclusion that maybe someone else gave to us or that we gave ourselves. Well, I, I kind of want to keep playing the anxiety tune because I know a lot of people, yeah. men and women, big. men and women who have said to me, oh gosh, I have major anxiety. I need to be medicated for it. And it's so interesting how people internalize these things and make them pillars of their identity when there are plenty of rational and reasonable externalities that would cause us distress. Yeah. And if you're embroiled in negative information and unsettling information all the time, of course you would react to things in a way that would produce a response within you phys physiologically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, that would not feel as though your ship was moving in the right direction at the pace that you want it. Right. I don't see any reason why you couldn't trace many of the quote unquote imbalances in life and do, as you would say, a reverse commute and say, that actually makes plenty of sense. But with that, let's go back to the story, right? Right. Because that's... That's the, how do we disarm a story that isn't true? Yeah. How do we pivot and say, this story needs to take three right turns. We need 270 degrees yes. of a shift. Maybe it's 90, maybe it's 180, maybe it's 270, but there is a different direction and a different explanation for how I arrived on the course that I'm currently charting. Yeah, it's very good. It, it, we could almost make that the first step of just challenging our conclusion, challenging our takeaways, challenging our, uh, for ourselves and for the people around us, right? For some reason, we know exactly why every single person around us is doing what they're doing, but yet we don't know why we're doing what we're doing. 
Of course, that's right. our biggest blind spot will always be ourselves, we I have, think. We have mixed motives with every single thing we do, and yet we know beyond a shadow of a doubt the negative motivation that's driving the people around us, right? It's an odd luxury to be able to see things in others and not see it in ourselves. And whether the things that we see in others are actually true or not, it does, to speak to your point, it does feel easier to identify, well, this is this is what's going on. And I think there is some truth to that where when you're in it, you can't see, uh, what is it? The forest for the trees. The, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'm I'm a single, I'm just a single tree trying to grow. (laughs) And then somebody else is taking a stroll and says, Oh, well you haven't had rainfall in this forest in quite some time. We've got some deforestation going on and, um, yeah, there's a fire over there. And all the while we're just saying, Oh, just trying to soak up as much water from the ground as is humanly possible. Is there any sunlight that's making its way to me? Mm -hmm. So as much as we would say that other people's conclusions about us could be inaccurate, they might be far more accurate than the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Yeah, it could be, and for me again, the oh, you went, you went pressing. with it, you went with it. Could be. So, do you have a a very different idea of? Because we can play with that if you if you think there's a better explanation for it. Well, I, I'm trying, based on what we know of brain functioning and neurology, it's really important what we conclude, how we frame the reality that we are trying to live through, right? Definitely. Um, you see a nutball driving 85 miles an hour down the road. What do you think? I mean, first thought is, what an asshole. So yes. Part, part yep. of my language. There you have it. Sure. And so if we create a story, we have a story of a very selfish, probably male, sorry. I mean, I know females can be <laughs> wily coyote behind the wheel also, but... Play a guy, and what else? What other story are we going to make up about that person? It depends on whether we're asking about their story or whether no, we we're just, just concluding. Our brain starts with just boom, you hit it. What an asshole, right? Yeah, well, the, and that's that's how our brains have to function. And he's young. He's selfish. What kind of music is he listening to? We probably have a picture in our mind of exactly who that person is, and we despise that person. Well, that is what our brains do best, is, yes. is I won't say recognize, but I will say formulate patterns. Yes. And whether those patterns are true or not is yes. quite different yes. from the ones that we automatically form. But that's something that our brains have done forever, yes. is how do we orient ourselves in our environment to keep ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually safe. How do we continue to exist? You know, if that person is a dangerous crazy, we're probably going to try to avoid people who are driving like that. And that's actually a very sensible choice. But when we're out of the situation, only then do we have the opportunity to say, well, what was Joe Blow actually doing? Mm-hmm. 
why was that happening? Introduce your favorite thing to do, which is questions and say, what is this person's story? Right. Why would they feel so compelled to drive how I would perceive as absolutely recklessly? Right. What could prompt such madness? So what are the options? What are some other other options? What are some other storylines we could create for that person? Loved ones in the hospital. There you go. Just found out mom's mom's having a stroke. Um, Wife's giving birth. My my pregnant wife is here in the passenger seat. Uh, what else? What are some other ones? Let's just try to make as many <laughs> possibilities. High speed chase. The law is after. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> And he didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. What else? Accelerator stuck. It's a mechanical <laughs> issue. Fantastic. I love where this is headed. Sure. Anything else? That creative mind of yours? There's a beehive inside the car and uh, just trying to roll down the windows there and let air... It. Sure, uh, sure. Yes. Get get the bees out. How did yes. I do in terms of creative stories? No, I think uh, you're doing fantastic. Stories. And it reminds me of the Albert Einstein quote that says, uh, creativity is just intelligence having fun. And and that's kind of you. That speaks to you. That's kind of you. I lucked out that, that imagery uh, came to my mind because those things, yes. I, I have not so pre-planned this. Marcus Buckingham um, has written a lot uh, yes, of things. Yes, Marcus Buckingham, of helped course. Helped a lot of people. And he, he says, Life is going to go best for us if we can choose the best alternative explanation. Oh, gosh, what a call out. And so we're driving down the road. We can say, this is a symbol of the depravity of our human nature, or this is love trying to get to his sick mom or his pregnant wife to a hospital. Both of those storylines we assign to that person are going to have an impact on us. It's going to do something to the way that we function throughout the day. We do the same thing to those who are closest to us, and we do the same exact thing to ourselves. I know exactly why I did that. It's almost easier to make assumptions about the people we know best, right? It is. It is. And it's not typically a storyline that's beneficial or helpful or making them look good. We're not very fair to ourselves and others, are we? No, we're not. Because most of us are scared and we're fearful and we're anxious. I do want to say one thing, revisiting what we were talking about with anxiety earlier. I think you said it well. There are some people that do have genuine anxiety that need need help, need therapy, need medication. Fantastic. We're not talking about them, those people in that situation. But the world of psychology has divided anxiety into two different little categories, feelings of anxiety and a state of anxiety. Okay. And I think that is a very important distinction for us to realize with just anxiety or fear or whatever it may be, this disconcerting emotion. I can feel anxious, but what you're talking about is people who have received the label and owned, I am an anxious person. They it is now brought, part of my identity. That is who they are. That is the way that they are seeing themselves as in their being. And that is dangerous. And that's a storyline that we have concluded about ourselves. that is like my dog saying, 
you know what? I'm I'm going to take a lot of extra work for the rest of my life. Now my dog has grown. She has taken some extra work. But she's different. She's she's changed. She's less quirky now than she was a year ago. Mm-hmm. And it's so fun to see that change in her and how much more fun to see change in a human being. Right. Who starts becoming more comfortable in their own skin, who can realize, you know what, I can actually have feelings of anxiety and not let this downward spiral take me down into a plate of cookies or a bottle of whatever. Well, what if we just ask the right questions to say, what's another explanation for the way that you're feeling? And can we trace this back to relational dysfunction that needs repair? Can we trace this back to something that's going a little sideways in your life that would quite naturally provoke a response of, I feel uneasy about that. Yes. How much, how much, um, I don't know, uh, how disarming is a word to go with unease rather than anxiety. I feel uneasy about this. That sounds more as though it's a temporary state and it's rooted in things that are legitimate. When people say I have depression, I don't want to discount that, but oftentimes there's some sad stuff going on in their life that you can trace it back to and say, this isn't occurring out of nowhere. This is, there are external factors that are not, a moral or mental failing on your behalf that you're feeling this way. And in fact, it's important that you don't medicate yourself out of this because you probably won't learn the lessons that this situation is presenting. There's so many important things for us to learn in these heightened states of discomfort where if I feel anxious, what an opportunity for me to ask the right questions and say, well, when I'm feeling uneasy, how do I get back to feeling like I'm more on my moorings? Yes. If I'm depressed, or if I feel depressed, how do I build back to enjoying things? Yes. How do I build back to feeling that sense of gratitude uh, for the things that are going well? Because that's something that I've experienced when I'm in a state that I would qualify as being a little bit low, low in the reserve tanks of, let's just say, happiness, you know what goes out my uh, I, my window and flies away as fast as possible is gratitude. A hundred percent. It's yeah. all woe is me. Very true. Everything's terrible. And that story lends well to spiraling out of control into a conundrum that it's an it's a tailspin. It's a tailspin. So I think a lot of ways, you know, the antidote uh, is good questions and saying, what's going well in my life? What am I supposed to learn from feeling the way that I'm feeling? What were the positive things about this relationship, even though it might be changing or it might be ending? What am I supposed to learn here? And those, I, I love those skills. Those are fantastic. They're so helpful. And what I'm thinking is those are kind of more real-time things that we are using to try to shape our present processing. And what kicked us off was 
the fact that there are a lot of conclusions we've made about ourselves and other people, stories that have made the operating system of our life quite wonky. It's those conclusions. Uh, I had when I was in fourth grade. <laughs> tell a quick story. Uh, hopefully, I haven't told it before. If I have. It'll be entertaining. Twice. I love the fact <laughs> that you've got this level of recall that you can go to fourth grade. Well, okay, salient memories. Who, who does, I don't think we forget the traumatic moments of our youth very easily. No, they imprint. Right? They imprint upon us. Oh, they do. And so there was this girl that I um, was just just smitten for. Just beautiful little girl, blonde hair, blue eyes, and then she know, was it as for a you. Four, as a fourth grader, you think you know. <laughs> It's one of those, you know, gosh, if I could somehow get this girl to like me, that will be all I will need the rest of my life. I mean, we all probably have that and have had that, right? Well, perspective-wise, in your short life, yeah, that yes. that makes a whole lot of sense in that yes. story. Yes. So anyhow, this we were on a school outing. It was a hike, and we were with a whole class, elementary school, and um it started to rain. I gave her my hat. She wore my hat. And I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> this could be Things really- are going well. This is and um, she was smiling at me. And I'm thinking, this is, I, I, you know, it's just almost you couldn't put words to it because these are things in your soul that are like, could this be? Is it possible? And um, so- we're we're walking along, and one of my friends, uh, I'll put that in quotes, friends comes up and says, uh, "Hey, you kind of like uh, so and so over there, right?" And I'm like, "Gosh, yeah, yeah." And uh, he's like, "A lot or a little?" I'm like, "You know, kind of a lot." He said, "Well, if you were gonna show with your hands, making your hands wide and showing how much you like her, how much?" Would would you how where where would your hands go? You know, where how wide would your hands go? You opened up the catcher's mitts. I did. I mean, I was like Jesus on the cross with arms stretched out. This much, holy smokes. Yeah, this much. And I looked over at her and her eyes got really big. Oh, she was eavesdropping on this. No. They had gone and prepped her. And said, hey, I think that guy really likes you. We're going to go ask him to show his hands how much he likes you. They set me up. Huh. And so I've got these arms wide open waiting for love. And I look over and I see a, a strange, horrified look on her face because she is seeing now how much I really like her. And she walks over and takes the hat off of her head and hands it back to me. Ouch, dude. <laughs> Oof. And so, okay, we have these traumatic events when we're younger. What do we conclude from that? Right? What does a fourth grader take away from that hike? I don't think a fourth grader has the hardware or the software to tell a story that's anything other than highly personal and highly negative. Yes. That there's no way you could step into her story and say, what was no what was going no. on with her? No, that's it right. It has to all be... All right, so tell me what I concluded about myself. That you were no good and that you couldn't show and 
it wasn't safe to express how much you cared about somebody full blast Mm. that you couldn't open up the fire hydrant and say, this is really how I feel. You contracted and you said, I need to be more measured in how I love and how I express emotion. Yeah. And you think that has sent ripples through my relationships for the rest of my life? The fact that you can recall this story (laughs) in such great detail do you remember yeah. the color of the hat? Like, yeah. yes, I do. Yeah. So that's, isn't that fascinating? And these sorts of experiences not only happen to us in fourth grade, but they yes. happen to us when we're in pre-verbal states. Yeah. In memories that we can't even recall, we're already learning about how the world right. works and how we operate in the yes. world yes. and what to expect from other people. Right. So at, at the risk of doing what I accuse so many other people of doing, and that's uh, over, over diagnosing the problem and under prescribing the solution. I hate that. You know, you listen to some of it's like 45 minutes. You told me what was wrong with me. And I'm like, okay. And then you give me these little two or three minutes here, try this. And, uh, Hey, good. See you next week. Um, that drives me nuts. I'm sure. I mean, sure. We can come alongside people. We've all had these fourth grade type experiences. Oh yeah. With stories that have impacted us for years. What do we do? How do we find more order in a disordered story? How can I make sense? How can we go back and actually start trying to create a different story? A she didn't network? know how to receive that. No. She didn't know how to receive it. Who knows how to re- Listen, what adult knows how to receive love yeah. in a way that is pure so, open forward yeah. and full blast so you're 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 going to be the life coach for a for a fourth grade me okay wow. you come along and you put your arm around me and you say what to me how do you shape the reality that i just experienced what would jesus say to you let me just kind of Oh, let's start with Alex. And we'll get to do no, I listen. Get right to it. I love it. Uh, yeah, let's yes. let's okay. pivot immediately. Even better. And even then, better. And then I'm going to let you fill in the blanks. No, what better. would Jesus what would Jesus along and he puts his arm around us, around you, and what does he say yes. to you? Yeah, you're in the hot seat now, Craig. When you are you really you going to do this verbal judo on me and just turn it back on it's me? It's about dang time that I pull Holy this because smokes. this is kind of your go-to on, move, man. and this is a student becoming the you teacher in a small way, <laughs> a very small way. Well, instead of using my imagination, I'm going to try to use some of what Jesus has whispered to me in other moments of my life because. Sometimes we bring an imaginary Jesus into a situation and we get imaginary help, right? But what an astute call out. What is it real quick? Like, let's yeah. pause. Yes. What does imaginary Jesus do for us in, in these situations? I love that as, a, as an interesting yes. pitfall of our understanding of Jesus. My, my imaginary Jesus is is probably not helpful and probably brings more um, affirmation of the the 
wounded part and the shameful part of me than 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 is actually does any good. So pats you on the head and says, It's okay, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay, buddy. Right. Or shrugs his shoulders and go, that you know what? Better luck she's next year. Right. <laughs> Better <laughs> she's, yeah. she's right. You're kind of broken. Right. You're kind of a turd. So uh, <laughs> And again, I, because for most of us, imaginary Jesus is just a spiritual cosmic version of ourself. And so we're going to take our own self-condemnation and criticism and judgment and just just put it uh, put it in a cloak, put it in a ancient Near Eastern costume, and then uh, put the weight of Jesus' words behind it, which aren't helpful for a tender little soul. Um, so tell me, tell me. In your more refined understanding of the heart of Jesus, yes. what would he say to fourth grade you? Well, he would come and he would put his arm around me and that would be probably enough. It would probably just be enough just to be held in that moment when you feel rejected, abandoned, betrayed by friends, humiliated, um, feeling like your heart and emotions were discarded. You tried to love and it didn't work. <laughs> um, so I think that would be the first thing and could be enough. Maybe we just wanted to, maybe it's just fine for him just to put his arm around me and walk with me for the rest of the hike. Um, if he was going to to speak I know from experience and from scripture, he would say, I'm sorry, that probably really hurt, didn't it? I think he might celebrate you too and say, I love how courageous you were Yes. in being connected with your heart. Yeah. Now let's go skip some rocks. Yeah. Yeah. And I know another thing that he has whispered to me in similar um, hurtful moments as an adult, with his arm around me, he's whispered to me, I will never do that to you. And that has really brought some healing and health and traction in my soul, Mm. knowing he's not going to do that. He will never do that. I'll never put my arms out wide and say, I love you this much. And he gets a strange, distant look and go, oh. Tells you to have a seat, pulls the chair out. Right. That's not happening. No. And because that's been my experience with most of humanity, that's a breath of fresh air. That's a cold glass of water in my soul saying, oh, he is different in a majestic, beautiful, captivating way. Thank you for not being like that. Thank you for not being like me. Thank you for not being like this little girl or my friends, quote unquote, who betrayed me. Um, and I like the uh, the celebration and the rock skipping too. But I think I need, for me, I need to have the arm first the words of understanding and compassion and empathy saying definitely i get that the affirmation of who jesus is and how different he functions what and when i experienced that 
it allows that story to be healed just a little bit. It starts bringing order to that story. It's so interesting to hear hear you tell that story in such detail. And after the fact, to layer on so many pieces of the story that had extreme significance when those friends of yours, that girl, who knows what was going on in their minds. It may not have been a malicious way to humiliate. They may have just been curious about the guy who was bold enough to declare that he was into a girl because they may have been that way, but were like, I think Craig's for real. And I think, I think he would actually say it. And then I think that girl was probably overwhelmed by saying, Oh, this, this big guy, this guy who I think is really cool he really likes me. I don't know what to do with that. Right. There's so right. many different elements yes. to the story. And that's true of all of our stories because we don't know, we do not have the luxury of understanding everybody else's stories. And we also don't understand who the grand author is, right? Yeah. That can you imagine? Could it be that that was part of your story that was actually supposed to happen because it was eventually going to come to a place where it would bring you closer to God and Jesus? That's mind-blowing to think about, that that was supposed to happen to you, that you needed that to happen to you for growth. And that maybe doesn't sit well. That's a tough thing to hear for somebody who's been through something that they have said that was really rough to it's not fair in a lot of ways to tell them you that was supposed to happen or you deserve that you deserve that is is probably not the right thing to say but then you go into the gratitude and say what about that experience if you could be would you be thankful for yeah we don't and it's so hard to be thankful for something like that in the moment. It really oh, yeah. has to be a hindsight thing. But entering the possibility of good and a good God writing a good story, I think, is very challenging for us. We don't believe that we'll put quotes in bad and challenging things can actually part be part of the story God's writing. We don't we don't believe that. We think about the apostle Paul, right? He he wanted to to his burning passion was to to help people come to know Jesus, right? That's all he wanted to do. And he went from town to town to town to town. God help me help me help it be the person that introduces people to you, right? He wanted to be that conduit, be used by that way. And then he's thrown in prison, and I can imagine he was just sitting there in anguish going, are you kidding me? Really? I want to be out sharing Jesus with people. And what does he do? Ah, man. Well, all right, well, I, I'm going to I'm gonna have to write. I'm gonna have to put Who's Jesus without the cross? Who's, what? <laughs> Who's Jesus without the cross? You think that part of his story makes... That's a tough part of a story, is exactly. it not? Exactly. That's the exact point. Paul's thrown in prison. He says, hey, fantastic. I got an opportunity to write. And so now he's able to not just help people in the ancient Near East and some small villages know who Jesus is, 
he helps people for thousands of years know who Jesus is and what he's done through his writing, right? Something bad, hey, I'm in jail, turns into part of the God story. The cross, something bad, something challenging, turns to be turns out to be a major part of the God story he yes. for Jesus, right? Yes. But for some reason, we automatically think if something is bad or challenging, it can't be from God. A hero's, good. A hero's story isn't worth telling, and it's also not worth hearing if it's just going from strength to strength to strength to strength, from high point yeah. to a new high point yeah. to going from Mount Everest to another Everest that you didn't know existed. Yes. Double Everest and triple Everest. <laughs> I don't want to hear about that. Yeah. I don't because I, not only is it unrealistic, I can't relate to that at all. No. Not in the slightest. And the most challenging moments in our life the most challenging seasons in our life are that the zip code where we have the greatest opportunity to grow, to heal. It's those. It's God loving us enough to walk through something challenging. Um, my daughter in college walked through some challenging things first year in college, and she sends us this this beautiful thing that she hand wrote out about trying to grab a hold of the God that's grabbed a hold of her. And it's just like, ha, hello. Fantastic. Have you ever heard of Elizabeth Elliot? No. Okay. Um, I was going to read a quote, but I, I want to make sure you and the audience knows who this person is. Elizabeth Elliot was married to a guy um, named Jim Elliot. He, um, back in maybe the 60s, was a, a missionary to this group of people who are unreached. They had never heard about Jesus before, right? So he and some friends went to go bring Jesus to where Jesus had never been before. And as it turns out, as he's ministering to these people, trying to help them understand who who Jesus is and what he's done for them, the love that he has for them, they decide he looks like tender vittles and they eat him. Apparently they were cannibals. And Uh-oh. so they actually killed him and, and ate him. So unfortunate, right? Um, that began a process of other missionaries going there and helping them understand who Jesus is. And eventually this whole village <laughs> turns turns to Christ. And it, it that is so weird. Area. Yes. Okay. That is so weird, weird dude. Indeed. Weird indeed. No, to, to <laughs> go into it after that outcome, mm-hmm. that's the weird part. That's the part that, riddles me with disbelief. Yes. And and it serves as a great challenge for us to maybe listen to where God wants us to go and not just where we want to go because sometimes he wants us to lean into people who people won't revisit anymore. Um just like this village. But this is the quote from Elizabeth Elliot. This was his his wife who was not eaten. Who was not eaten. He is always doing something the very best thing we ourselves would certainly choose if we knew the end from the beginning. He is at work to bring us to our full glory. He's always doing something, the very best thing that we ourselves would certainly choose if we knew the end from the beginning. If we knew what God knew, we would be choosing the exact same thing for ourselves in going through what we are going through right now. That's so hard to wrap 
my yes. mind around. Yes, agreed. And that's and, why and I part of you to know part of me, well, part of me is in disbelief and saying, it, "Is that a coping mechanism for me to rationalize all bad things as good things?" Hmm. And that I don't know. That's an odd space to. Yes. That's an odd question to go sure. into, and maybe an unfair question. But I would like to index more on the wavelength of this is a part of a larger story. And because I am currently occupying a paragraph, I am, and I only kind of know the paragraph of the story that is my life. I might not even know the entire chapter, but I am, maybe I'm stuck in a single narrow sentence and I'm hung up. That's the space I'm occupying, and yep. I cannot yep. see the paragraph. I cannot see the chapter, and I certainly can't see the larger book. Right. And we're never going to have that luxury of knowing, no. and then he met with God. We're never going to get all the way to that final line until we do. Well, And so when bad things happen to people, what do most people conclude? Where, where do they usually go? Where can they go? If we're I know. talking about trying to find a new story, right? Where do most people go? Something bad happens. I know plenty of people who say, God has abandoned me. Mm-hmm. God is not good. God is a kid with a magnifying glass, and he's yeah. burning us like ants. We need to find a villain often in these stories. The guy who's driving... Driving like a jackalope down the highway. Oh man, he's he. It's him. It's society. It's social media. It's we need to find find a villain. Sometimes people say it's God. Sometimes people point to themselves. I'm the villain, mm. right? I'm I'm the one that's creating all the havoc and the the chaos around us. When someone's trying to have their story not be a disordering impact on their life and creating more chaos around them, what what do they do? How do they process the challenge? How do they process? And sometimes we need help. Cherish helps me tons in helping me think differently about life, about my situation. And sometimes she has to give me a reality check, you know? I feel like an interesting writing exercise for us and maybe for anyone listening to this. And I know we've gone... This is a longer episode, but we've had a lot of thoughts worth exploring. But think about either a memory or something you're struggling with right now or an element of your story that causes you distress. And maybe you write down two or three other possible explanations for why things are the way they are and what it means in the grand scheme of things. And what's a, what's a, different way of telling the story about these events that are occupying yes. our mind, our soul. Cause we all have challenges going on in our lives right now. We all have those dysfunctional relationships uh, to varying degrees. We've got the jobs not going all the way correctly. X, Y, and Z fill in the blanks. There is something that is not going with uh, the flow of your personal river. It just mm-hmm. feels mm-hmm. messed up. So could you reframe that? Could you tell a different yeah. story? And could you be open to the possibility that God is using 
whatever that is in a way that's far more beautiful than you could anticipate and that could you be okay with not knowing how the current paragraph, how the current chapter yes. is going to shake out. And, right. that's and in a lot of that's ways good. that that's faith in saying, I know that God is good yeah. and I know that his pen moves in ways that are not accidental. They are purposeful and they're beautiful. Yeah. No, that's very good. And maybe even just to suspend judgment, suspend our conclusion. I know exactly why this is happening or why you're doing this or why this happened to them or anything else, just because we don't, we don't know yet. And, uh, you know, earlier I was using Jesus on the cross as a description of how much I liked this girl in fourth grade. But if we start letting Jesus tell the story, I, I, I love doing that, create space. You have a way of telling a story. I have a way of telling a story. And if we just say, Jesus, how would you tell this story? Sometimes a lot of clarity can come because he also walked through a very challenging story, as you mentioned, on the cross. And that cross has signaled to us, I'll never treat you that way. I, I'm, You're so valuable to me, and I love you so much. I'm going to be willing to die for us to be together. How's that? I hope you are encouraged by our podcast, and we hope you are able to understand not just how to take steps towards Jesus, but to understand how he's taken steps towards us and to embrace that. And uh, as Alex often says, if this was encouraging to you, maybe pass it along to a friend. Maybe it would be encouraging to them as well. Hope you have a great day.